Hi, this is Ron Hogan, and you're listening to Life Stories, a Beatrice.com podcast where I talk to memoir writers about their lives and the art of writing memoir. My guest today is Michael Haney, the deputy editor of GQ, and we're going to be talking about his memoir, After Visiting Friends, A Son's Story, which is published by Scribner. Hi, Michael. Hi, Ron. So I love this book. I stayed up all night reading this. Thank you. It's such a wonderful story, and I don't want to give away too much in the course of this interview because there's a mystery at the heart of this right. memoir that people really ought to discover for themselves. But let's explore the basic setup of the questions that have sort of dogged you right. all your life until you started poking into them. Well, I think that the basic setup and, and, and even, even the most basic setup, but I think that the reason you probably stayed up all night and I've heard it from other people and I think why this book really resonates with the people who've read it so far that I hear from is because, you know, I, I always say this, that this isn't my story, it's your story. And it's a story of, I have a line in here where I talk about family secrets. We all come from families and all our families have secrets and mine involved something that you may be different from you or anyone else listening here. Still, we all have these, you know, questions about something that happened in your family or mystery that we maybe long to go in search of the answer, but sometimes we feel a little fear as I did about it. And so I think taking that journey as I did, I think that the, the reader identifies with that. What's at the heart of my mystery is my father was a, um, a newspaper man in, in Chicago in the 50s and 60s, where he, uh, as my mother was working in the papers then, they met, they got married in, uh, in the early 60s, and my mother became a housewife and, and the mother with my brother and me. And then when my father was 35 years old and I was six and my brother was eight, he dropped dead one night. And, and But I realized sort of a, through my life uh, from the time I was a young boy that the story my family was told and the story that my mother told me about the circumstances around my father's death didn't really add up to me. The book is really about going in search of what happened to my father that night. In your childhood and in your adolescence, any sort of attempts that you made to to pierce that sort mm -hmm. of veil of secrecy, I mean, it, it was pretty much as if like this steel door had closed over the subject yeah. as far as your family right. and your mother especially were right. concerned. Yeah, my mother, you know, again, this was 1970s Chicago, America, Midwest. Sort of talk about growing up in this legacy of this sort of Midwestern Polish Irish family and, and uh, my mother being a, a young widow and raising two boys on her own. But so I think, you know, I see now the sort of strength that she sort of felt she needed to bring to bear on this. She used to say that I sort of saw it as like I had this job to do raising you boys and I was still concerned about letting any weakness out. But yeah, she was a, she's a very uh, strong character. There's probably a scene that references the Godfather you're thinking of, which is my mother had what I basically called this code of omerta, which is the, the code of silence. And, and it's not as though she came up with that in her head and decided this is what I'm going to do. It was just her character and it was the way the sort of house was, was run. House of silence, exactly as I think of it. Now, your senior year of high school, you yes. made a discovery that really pretty much confirmed there was something hinky about this story. Hinky, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> And yet you, you sat on it for a long time after that. Right. I mean, let's talk about what you found out first and then why you didn't push then. What I found out is I was sort of doing, you know, the, the thing we often do in senior year of high school term paper. And uh, I needed to go to the big public library in Chicago. And, and while I was there, 
I just had this itch. I was like, I'm going to look up my father's obituaries. I had never seen them. And I thought, you know, he worked at the papers. And maybe there's an obituary. So I looked in the Sun-Times and the Tribune and the Daily News. And uh, each of them had, had, had an obituary. And in two of the papers, there was a line that said, basically, he died after visiting a friend. And another paper said he died after leaving the house of some friends. And he died on the street. Uh, and they gave this sort of block uh, in Chicago, the address. And I thought, well, that's curious. I, I've never... Don't, we don't know anyone who lives up there. We don't have anyone, any family friends who live up there in that area. It's nowhere near his way home. And, gee, it's kind of strange that no one who was with him that night ever said anything to us. But, I, I again, I, I think I was afraid to go in search of that answer, afraid to ask my mother, afraid to even point it out to my mother. And I sort of made, made printouts of these obituaries and promptly then put them in a box or anything like that and left them there. And, but, you know, as I grew older and especially as I approached the age my father was when he died, and that being 34, 35, I started to really think I needed to sort of find out what happened to him. You talk about how when you hit 35, knowing that, I mean, what you did know about, for sure, about your father's death was that it was a heart attack or, or, or an aneurysm of some, or cerebral right. hemorrhage. And so you kind of grew up with this fatalistic belief that, that you were going to die. Right. That right. Too. I remember being from the time I was like 10, 11, 12, thinking, I'm never going to outlive him. And and so it was like, it was like got to be, you know, towards that goal line of 34th rise. I said, well, you know, and I had a real sort of, sort of almost functioning breakdown about it. And, and, you know, I realized later, and I've kept talking to other people who are members of what I call the Dead Fathers Club, you know, you, whether you lost a father or a mother, I think when you lose a parent, you sort of think you're you're never going to outlive them. And so it, it, was, it was sort of wrestling with that legacy and and then uh, you know and, and and trying to push through that. I mean, sort of like the easy glib explanation would be to say that you know solving this mystery was sort of your path out of that functioning mm-hmm. breakdown. But in reality, you know, the numbers seem up that it was actually like a couple, at least in the way you tell the story. It wasn't until like your late 30s that you really sort of like started pushing. Yeah, I mean it was, um, I started writing this believe it or not 10 years ago uh, sort of writing and reporting of it. So right around the time I was about just come out the other side of 36, 37 and I thought I just have to write this story and, and you know I didn't I didn't have a book contract or anything. I decided I'm going to write this story for myself. It took me, you know, a good five, six, seven years of reporting and, and then writing. And then another, you know, I, I had a draft done. I threw that away. I wrote a second draft. I threw, that was about year eight, year nine. And then the sort of like third draft. So it took a, a, quite a while. But it was, it was, it was, I think, as I said, it was, it's, it's an intense personal journey, but I think one that, as you indicated from your reaction, it, it, it connects with people because we all see something of ourselves in the story. You know, you mentioned your your mom's sort of concept of a code of silence before, and mm-hmm. one of the things that makes this story so gripping, I think, is that as you begin the investigation and you're trying to find out about your father and his work life, mm-hmm. all of his colleagues at the Sun-Times, scattered around the country as they are now, yeah, here it is like 25, 30 years later, and they are still maintaining mm-hmm. that code of silence, mm-hmm. that, um, you know, that professional collegial right. code of silence right. amongst themselves. Uh, you know, I, I, it's a code. And, and, and you know, I, I'm, I'm 
you know, some people, well, were you angry at people when you, when you were there? I mean, I, I love every person who comes on stage in this book, and, I, and, I, and I've worked, I think, to, to honor everyone who comes in, because I feel like even if someone was uh, stonewalling me, they, I believe they were doing it out of the best of intentions. And, you know, the, one of the guys who actually sort of told me the truth, a guy named Tom Moffat, who worked with my father, and he said, you know, why am I telling you this story? I said, why? And he said, you know, when I was a young, young man, you know, my father, my mother went away to a hospital, you know, in quotation marks. And you know, he said it wasn't until years later that my father told me that she had, you know, had a breakdown. And he said, you know, if someone would just have told me, you know, maybe my life would have been, I would have not wondered so much. So it really was, I think, about looking for that closing those circles. In a way, it seems like this is a story that you've sort of been gearing up to, to tell your whole life, in, in that it draws upon repertorial and, mm-hmm. and journalistic skills that you've been training for right. uh, throughout your career. It's funny, I mean, if you look at the craft of writing, I mean, so you can say it's an art and a craft. I, I always think it's it's an arts and a craft in this book, but I think one thing that you know working in magazines has taught me, and I say this to people here, you know, reporting is the most amazing way to sort of tell a story. And I, I want to be really clear, that's not, I mean, we all do reporting every day, you know, just getting in conversations with people, where are you from, what's going on? They, you know, the basics of who, uh, of someone's identity and, and where, you know, that's, that's, that's reporting. But as I say in the book, it's the who, what, where, when, why, and how. That's the fundamentals of reporting. And I think those are also the fundamentals of great, Fiction and nonfiction is um, who's the character, what's their motivation, you know, how are they acting, you know, and, and, and why are they doing it, where is it happening, and, you know, if you, as a writer, drill down on that and always have that in mind, I think, and keep that central, then your story has a momentum to it, you know, you, you can make it as grand as you want, but that who, what, where, when, why, and how, I think that's always driving it forward, and you always have to keep. And then, then you see where it's got a road to, to travel. And so, I think reporting for me is—it's. I love going out in the field and talking to people and listening to them and, and hearing their stories. You mentioned, you know, you know, sort of setting out to write this in the beginning. Did you see this as a feature? Did you always see it as a book? Or I started. I came to writing through poetry. I was always working in magazines, but I would write poetry and, and uh, published a few poems. And, and I met a guy named Bill Clegg who was, and is my agent. And this is, and, and he came to me years ago, and he said, "Let's meet." And I said, "Well, why?" He says, "Well, I've read some of your poems, and I'm like, well, what agent wants to represent a poet?" And he said, "I just think." You've got a good voice. And, you know, he just always kept in touch with me once we were talking. And he said, you know, I think you should write a book about your father. And because and in all your poems, they sort of surf around that. I, I told myself that I am going to write a book. I say that to, to people listening to this, not, you know, it's, you just have to believe in yourself. And it took me 10 years, but I like, I didn't, I didn't know what it was going to be. I had no promise it would sell. I was fortunate enough to have an agent who would work with me, but, you know, you, you have to believe in yourself, and, and t- if you believe in your story enough, as I did, I, I'm just going to write it and see where, you know, seven years into it, I still had no promise of anything, but it, it's about, I think, that, that desire to tell that story. Even after you've solved the mystery, mm-hmm. you again kind of sat on it for a while, because you right. were not sure what's to do with this, <laughs> with what you'd uncovered. Right. Yeah, you know, there's that remarkable phone call 
that you got from that woman who worked in the morgue in Chicago. And this was actually the second time that she had really sort of lit a fire under you right. in, a, in a key way. I, her name is Jan Scott. I mean, I think about her sometimes when I get choked up. She worked in, in the morgue in Chicago, and I had to go to the morgue to pull some files uh, and, and about my father's autopsy and, and, and toxicology reports. And she was a woman there who sat in a little plexiglass booth in the lobby and, you know, sort of like the receptionist. And you think, if you think, to back to your question about reporting and why, what we as writers can learn from that. I walked in there, here was a woman, and you think about the parade of people that come through there every day having to go to the morgue and identify someone who they've lost. And this woman could not have been more full of life and prayerfulness and watching over me and 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 the scene you're talking about came towards the end of the book and i had known my what i'd found out another wave of fear came over me like i can't tell my mother i can't tell my brother i can't tell this story and jan called me one day just i hadn't talked to her in about a year and a half and she just called me up and said i i've been thinking of you I, I say as people, you know, there's lines and there, there's moments in books when you think, like, could that really have happened? And yes, these things happen. That's what happens when I think we as writers put ourselves out into the world, allow the world to, to, as, to, to go in search of some stories. And I mean, the thing I love about that moment is that, you know, she calls, like you say, she calls you up out of the blue. She's like, Michael, God wants you to tell this story. Right. I got to put you on hold. I gotta go. <laughs> right, right. I went back to see Jan a couple, about a year ago. I was in Chicago, and, and, and I saw her. And I told her I finished the book, and she said, "That's great. I can't wait to see it." You know, there's there's Jan, and there's I feel like as I said earlier, you know, everyone who appears in the book, who as I say comes on stage, they all I, I just feel so honored to have met them, and and and. You know, I, I see so many hands helping me and on, on the way to, to, to telling this story. While the mystery is obviously a big hook here, you know, especially in the second half, I think, the family relationship is really a key element here. You know, restoring the relationship with your brother and really sort of better understanding the relationship with your mother and, and your grandmother, too, in her last years. You know, my, my grandmother was... If I think about her, I get uh, emotional too. But she, you know, th- th- as I say, this book was written over the course of eight, nine, ten years. And and when I started it, she had just started to d- decline into uh, dementia. Yet, you know, you know, there, there there's some themes in the book, and one of them is sort of memory and stories, and the recovery of memories, and going in search of our stories, and you know, then the, how those link across generations, and and even then how generations are chained and, and 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 you know my grandmother was 95 and her mother died when she was a young girl uh, you know here i am my father died and i'm raised by my grandmother and uh, you have these echoes across this you know and then i see how my grandmother and mother were isolated at times due to the death of, uh, at that early age i maybe i'm getting a little chewy here but it, it, what i saw in telling the story and what i think will inspire people is when you go in search of these stories and the answers to them, I think people are so relieved to tell a story and to have the truth out there. And and the, the truth is not nearly as scary as you think it is. It oftentimes it's it's this sort of you know people are asking me like, well, what does your mother think of the book? You know, she's read it five times. She told me, and she's 
she's you know she called me in tears after she read it and I said well are you upset and she said no I think this is the most powerful and beautiful thing you and I'm so proud of you and it's a story that needs to be told and, and it's the greatest gift you could ever give me so and here I was like I say for decades afraid to confront that story because I thought what would happen to her and yet it's brought us closer together simply getting the answers right wasn't the the, the cure-all because you I mean you had the answers and you, you sat on that out of fear for so long mm-hmm. um, now that you they are out there that you have told this story it sounds like just personally you know, at your sort of core that it's transformed a lot for you in your life I, I, and I, and I, I hope it helps inspire other people I mean I think that's really I think it inspires people to think about their families and, and, and their lives and, and sort of going in search of their own stories and, and I think that you know, I, I really do believe that my story is everyone's story and that's where the, where the connection comes in and then you know it's it's a father son story it's a mother son story it's a brother to brother and 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 then it's you know it's a question of who am I and how did I get here and you know some fundamental questions but I think that I wanted to sort of give voice to those. As a reporter and a memoir writer, um, were there other memoirs that you sort of like looked at over the years and like, wow, that's good. I wish I could do something as good as that. There were there were certainly, you know, I, books that inspired me. And I think, you know, I loved Tender Bar by J.R. Warner. I, I, I loved Liz, Liz Gilbert's Eat, Pray, Love. Um, I loved them both just because of their sort of emotional honesty. You know, they both, J.R. took you to this world that was so vibrant. I think Liz took you on this journey of such trueness and, and, and honesty. And that sort of, you know, she achieved what we always like taking a reader along on a journey. And, you know, the third one I think that always inspired me was um, Mick Flynn's uh, Another Bullshit Night in Suck City. He was dealing with an absent father and, you know, he finds him in a different way. You know, and I think Mick also... As someone who came out of poetry, sort of, you know, inspired me to, to think about, you know, I can, as a poet, you know, sort of put this together. You're lucky in that, you know, your agent, Bill Clegg, is also, has also written a memoir. So, exactly. So he knows that uh, territory right. Right. in a way that other agents yeah. uh, don't necessarily have that, like, hands-on sort of, like... Yeah, I mean, Bill's, <laughs> you know, I think he's, he's, a, he's a, you know, there aren't many agents who have written books who also can be great readers. I mean, like Bill is, is a great reader, as most of all, as my editor, Nan Graham at Scribner's. You know, she, I think, Bill and Nan, you know, they speak the same language, and to, to Bill to put me in the hands of Nan, who's been, uh, and that's the probably the fourth memoir, which I, I should mention, that it was the one that sort of almost started this whole world, which is Nan's book, Angela's Ashes, and, you know, that was some 20 years ago, and but Nan created and shaped that book. She said, "You, you. This is this is a book that sort of makes me think of that book." So she was always her heart and 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 her intelligence. I think were such a great uh, source of strength for me, and, and I felt very fortunate to be in her hands. Now that you have the memoir out, and it, and your role as deputy editor for GQ sort of has you behind the, the the scenes a lot, but I assume that you still find time to to do features. But do you feel? Like there's another book-length story in you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've got, I mean, I've sort of well on my way to outlining another one and, and, and sort of have started to write that. And 
but I, there's 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 one that lives inside of this one that I feel is a story, and um, this has been a dream of mine for a long time. I, I one reason maybe it took me so long is I, I had a job, and, and and I you know I have a job that's different than some people's job, but it's still like I think all of us as writers have the day job. You know, Nan asked me when I started to work with her, said, "How'd you find time to write this?" And I said. I got up at 4.30 every morning, and I would write from about 4.30 to 7.30. And I just looked at it as this is my second job. On lunch hours, I'd slip over to the New York Public Library down the street here on 42nd Street, and maybe squeeze in an hour reading and over what I'd written in the morning, and then again on the weekends. But it's dedication, and, and, and that is, it's, it, it pays off. And I think anyone who out there who's a writer, and, and if you're wondering, I'm telling you, like, don't give up hope on it because it's, you just have to keep moving on it. And like I say I went through this even before I, you know I showed anything to Bill. I went through three entire revisions of it, just that I initiated on my own. So it's it's part of the journey. And with the day job at Condé Nast and then the second job of writing the memoir, right. is there still you know room for poetry to fit into all of this? I always tell people reading poetry will make you a better writer because you learn to just look at images. You know, some mornings not much comes other than two lines that's me, that's a poem, you know, but I, I have a desire to, to publish a collection as well, so yeah. maybe that's a third book. So well, we will keep an eye out for that one Thank as you. well. This has been Life Stories. I'm Ron Hogan, and I've been talking with Michael Haney about After Visiting Friends, A Son's Story, published by Scribner, which I encourage you all to, to run out and check out, and I hope you'll join us again for another episode of Life Stories soon.